Hi there. Welcome to How to Break Free from Alcohol and Cocaine. My name is Will, and on the 16th of May 2018, I decided to stop drinking. Throughout this podcast, I'm going to take you on a journey from my darkest moments with alcohol and drugs all the way to what life looks like now. I hope you enjoy this, but even more so, I really hope it helps. Hi there, welcome back. So today I'm going to be talking with Henny, and I actually met her around the same time as when I first started taking cocaine. I've been very keen to get her on this podcast because I know not just how much she has struggled, but how much she has triumphed. Her self-awareness and positivity are truly inspiring. And this was our chat. Unlike a few people I've had on the podcast so far, you're one of the people that was with me mm. in the early days of my 20s when it was all about drinking, it was all about drugs, it was all about going out. And one of the things which I look upon fondly over those times is kind of the positivity and the energy which you used to be there with me. And we used to encourage each other. And then, you know, we briefly worked together. We uh, were briefly in her band together. We were. That was incredibly brief. Um, But it was such a wild time. But one thing I always like to know before we get into anything is what did that relationship with alcohol or drugs look like at the very beginning? Maybe I'm assuming maybe through the teenage years and kind of how did it develop? I know it's a big question, but. Yeah, it is. I mean, I came. So I, I started drinking. I mean, I started drinking from a really early age. I think I think I had my first drink when I was maybe about 12 or 13. Sort of very like, you know, family parties. And I remember going to a family gathering and someone in my family said, oh, would you like a drink? And I was like, oh, I'll have a gin and tonic, please. And I don't really know. I, I don't know why or how I knew that I wanted a gin and tonic. I don't know whether I'd seen sort of my mum ordering them or I, I don't know. But I remember it was obviously quite prevalent from quite an early an early age and early on and then I guess I started working in a restaurant from being about 15 so I was around alcohol a lot anyway I had access to alcohol quite a lot anyway and then I I guess I grew up just thinking that it was just a part of life you know and never really thought much of it you know I went out to parties I was getting sort of blackout drunk at about 17 you know and and drinking through my exams and my GCSEs thinking it was just quite funny um and I guess at the time it was though I mean you you do it's just what you as a teenager you know you don't really think much of it and then I when traveling from quite a young age I was traveling from about 17 and I was traveling in sort of London Romania um I did a stint in Africa so I was always really independent and therefore then I guess drinking just came with that independence. Again, I just didn't think, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, this is what you do. But I didn't touch drugs then. Um, I smoked a bit of weed. But again, it was nothing that was sort of remotely worrying or I never in a million years ever thought, I guess, of the, the potential risk and the potential consequences. And I think, obviously, when you, again, when you're in it, um, and I guess when you're sort of that age, you're not really thinking about consequences, are you? You're not thinking about, I guess, perhaps how my brain is 
built differently to other people's or I guess that the stuff that I'd had to endure as, as a kid and, and the trauma that I'd been through as a child and how that therefore would impact my reaction to alcohol and the dopamine and all that kind of stuff because looking at it now and sort of the work that I've done now my brain does not take dopamine like other people's because of the stuff I've had to go through and work through as a child and all the rest of it so but I guess I never really thought about it and then I moved to London when I was 18 and that was then when I got into sort of the cocaine scene and and all the rest of it and that went on all the way through till lockdown and then really was lockdown that I had my big sort of grand reveal I guess and then after coming out of lockdown I relapsed and that relapse that 10 months of relapse was possibly the darkest that I have ever been and seen it was not fun drinking there was no fun and games there was no party there was no nothing it was just utter destruction self-destruction and with the help of a few um, including yourself Will I am six months sober um, in a couple of weeks wow and in a nutshell that's kind of it really do you know, it's so fascinating. And that was, to be honest, one of the other reasons I was excited to talk to you is because <laughs> of the relapse. Uh, but before we go into that, you said, you know, you had that moment in the first lockdown. And I remember, I remember the day you reached out to me and, you know, we were very close in those early days of partying. And I think through different work and different things going on, we just kind of drifted apart slightly. But then I remember you reached back out to me and it wasn't uncommon that I would have people reach out telling me what was going on. But I think when you reached out, I, um, I, I, just, I don't think I saw it coming because, again, through social media and how you perceive everyone, mm. everything looked absolutely perfect in your life. Mm. And then I remember you reaching out and saying, I just need to chat with you. We went for lunch in Soho. We did, remember. yeah. We had noodles. Uh, we had noodles, <laughs> amazing noodles. And yeah, you kind of told me about what was going on. But how did, you know, what was the what was the thought processes at that time? What was the emotions? Because some people have this kind of just quick, a flip of a switch and they think, mm -hmm. right, this is not working for me anymore. Otherwise, other people, it can be a little bit more of a, a drawn out realization. Which was it for you? So I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't massively dramatic, and it's funny people talk about your rock bottom moment, right? And I think I'd had quite a lot of rock bottom moments, but never really anything as profound as this. And I was in a marriage. I was married at the time. I, you know, there was a a potential future which was sort of being laid out in front of me, which involved you know houses and buying houses and having children and all the rest of it. And when I went into lockdown. I remember thinking, actually, this is really good because I'm not going to be able to take drugs in lockdown because no drug dealer is going to want to come out into lockdown and, and all the rest of it. And about three days into lockdown, I got a message off my dealer being like, I'm still delivering. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, here we go. And I, I there was a moment where, I mean, I was lying about it to friends. I was lying about it to my husband at the time and again it wasn't it wasn't fun it wasn't social it wasn't everything that it had been before you know I was not the life and soul of a party I was basically just you know self-medicating I remember waking up one morning after I'd been doing it on my own in my bathroom and just going I can't live like this anymore I cannot live like this anymore I had about 20 grand worth of debt which I'd rocked up through just drugs and and all the rest of it and and it wasn't even necessarily really about the 
the health aspect of it. It was about the fact that I was just living a, an absolute lie. I wasn't being true to me. I wasn't being true to my husband at the time. And, and again, like he had his own plans of what he wanted for us. And I couldn't keep up with that because I couldn't, I couldn't afford to, you know, practically. How can you save up for a deposit when you've got, you know, 20 grand's worth of debt? So I um, originally I said, OK, I'll just stop doing I'll just stop taking drugs. But the more I thought about it, the more I went, well, actually, they come hand in hand. The drink and the drugs, they come hand in hand. I cannot do one without the other. I'm not, unfortunately, I'm, I am an all or nothing sort of person. You know, I can't do half and half. There is no control. And if there's no control, there needs to be an eradication of it. And that was it. And then I, I didn't I didn't come clean really about the drugs till about six months after. So I sort of just told everyone that I was taking a break from drinking. There was maybe two people that knew, one of which was not my husband, um, just two of my very close friends who knew that it was the drugs that were the problem. But I didn't come clean to him and I didn't come clean to my family until about six months later. And yeah, and obviously he's not my... He's, a lot then happened you know he's not my husband anymore and we're actually still quite good friends and all the rest of it but that was sort of the that was the moment it was just this massive sort of wake-up call of going like I just can't live like this anymore you know Mm. and how did it feel when you came clean when you actually told everyone what was really going on um it was a few people weren't shocked a few people were like we sort of saw this coming and a few people were like, wow, I never knew it was that bad. A couple of people had said to me exactly what you just said now, Will, like, you know, everything on the surface looks so good and shiny and, and beautiful and pretty and you seem to have it all. And actually under the surface, I had not got it all. In fact, quite the opposite. I was was really going down a really quite dark path, which I then obviously then revisited later on. And I think the shock of that, of people going, oh, wow, you know, here's someone who looks like they're they're happily married, you know, they've got a nice house, she's got a good job. Yeah, she likes to drink and she likes to party. But but the support was amazing. And that's that was a big thing that I took away from that was there was a lot of people that I thought, oh, gosh, people are going to look at me and go, oh, you know, he's boring now, you know, or, or whatever. Or, yeah, haha, we'll see how long this lasts. And actually there wasn't one person that turned around and and gave it any sort of negative connotation everybody was like we've got you you know um you've got this as well and which was amazing which was amazing I'm not the kind of person that asks for help um I like to do everything by myself I like to prove that I can do everything by myself and actually even that exercise in itself of going okay actually I can't do this on my own and then looking at the the benefits of that and the people who are around me you really you really really find your people when you are in a place of crisis like that you know and that was that was amazing yeah do you know I can really relate when you were saying earlier about the independence you know you were moving around and traveling at a young age and when you get to that level of independence it becomes even harder to ask for help. I remember, and for me, that was one of the hardest things. You know, I, I realized something wasn't right, but it was when I actually said, you know what, I need help. And it was just those words, even saying them out loud would break me down. I'm like, I can't believe this is the first thing which I can't really do by myself in a sense. So I need someone else to to guide me or comfort me or support me or even just inspire me yeah. to, to see what a life without this is like. And like you said, everything can seem so shiny on the outside, especially with social media. And it was the time when I was at my lowest, 
when I'm on the couch, blinds are closed, you know, I'm just disconnecting, but I would still be scrolling through social media. Mm. When you're in a time like that, where you just feel so shameful and guilty, and all you're looking at is the highlights of everyone else's life, I think that's why it really provokes this isolating feeling, the feeling like no one else is like this. Everyone else's life is amazing. And how long did you not drink for for that first period then? So it was about 18 months. Um, It was, I can tell you exactly, actually, it was from May the 17th until the beginning of November the following year. So I did a full, I did a full May to May and then I did May, June, July, August, September. Yeah. So it was, it was almost creeping on to two years. And um, I think it was, yeah, just over 500 days because I had my sober app on my phone. And I remember actually almost kind of laughing at myself and being like, found a day sober, let's celebrate. <laughs> it's interesting because you, you stopped a day after me. Mine was May 16th, obviously oh, wow. a different year, but it might be uh, it might be something to be said for that. Maybe after like yeah. New Year's and the hospitality and maybe May was just a good time to be like, right, this is this has gone too far. But to be honest, for myself, you know, I, I decided to stop drinking not properly but then I went back to it but I only went back to it for one night and Mm -hmm. it kind of made this um made this decision within myself but one of the biggest fears I have now is what would it feel like to go back after an extended period of not drinking what's the emotions that come up is it almost denial or do you feel like you've wasted a year and a half by not drinking and you're happy to be back in there what was the kind of awareness like around that time when you went back and also why did you go back? What was the situation? Well, I didn't. Uh, what situation? Well, so there was there was a lot going on. Um, I I was going through a really tough time at work. I was had separated from my husband then, um, so I was sort of in between moving out of my flat and moving into a new flat. I was struggling personally with relationships and everything else that was going on, and I had sort of shut a door on the support that I had had for my sobriety. And because I had thought, well, I'm, I've been sober for this time now, you know, this is easy, I can do this by myself. And I had just got to a point where I didn't even, I didn't even think, and that's the scary thing is that when you don't put your sobriety first, when you take it for granted, you know, it's very, it's it's scary to think how easy it is for that sort of, part of you to come back up to the surface you know and 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 that's the thing like my I'm not in in denial I'm not in anything like that when I think well actually I am recovered I am not recovered um I am in recovery and I think I will always be in recovery there's that sort of dormant tiger I think that sort of is asleep in its cage and if I take my eye off the ball even for 30 seconds I run the risk of that tiger coming up and and um making itself known and that is exactly what I did. I just ignored it and ignored it and ignored it. Um, I had put my recovery further and further down the line. The feelings and the pain that I was going through when I was dealing with everything that was happening at that time just got so much. And I went out for drinks with some of the team from work. I went into the pub and ordered a gin and tonic. And I remember even one of the guys next to me saying, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? And I just was like, yeah. I absolutely will and I did and um it was funny because I went I went sort of I wouldn't say I went to hell for leather but I certainly enjoyed it um and I remember drinking and going oh this doesn't feel so bad actually 
I went to Marks and Spencer's and got my favourite cans of pina colada. I was staying in a hotel that night, so I got champagne to the room. Had a bit of a, a debaucherous evening. And then um, the next morning, didn't have a hangover and thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. I don't have a hangover. And then I guess I just started to put my own rules back in again. I had had my own rules in before about drugs and stuff where I had said, you know, I'm, I'll never buy it. I'll never take it home which I had broken all those rules. I would never do it on its own. I'd broken that rule as well. So I don't know why this time round I thought that the rules would would be any better. But I thought, okay, no, we'll just drink. It's fine. We'll just drink. You know, you don't need to do drugs. And I even told people, I said, you know, no, no, I'm not doing drugs anymore. I just, you know, I enjoy drinking. I'll enjoy a glass of wine on my food. And, and again, I think it was just that whole false persona and those lies creeping back in again of going, I can be someone that I'm not, you know, and um, I had said, yeah, you know, fine, I will only drink a couple of nights a week and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that was in the November. By the January, I was back taking drugs again. And between January and July, like I said, it was, it was, I mean, to say it was the, one of the darkest, lowest points, it, it really, it really, really was. And I think the difference in my sobriety now is that realization that um, if I drink again, most likely I will die at some point. And whether that is from sort of self-inflicting, whether that is from overdosing or whatever it is, whether it's from just my body giving up, I I cannot, I just can't. And actually, do you know what? Life is worth living. And I really realized that, that last year. And it's not pretty now do you know what I mean sobriety now recovery now it's not a glamorous thing it's not pretty it's not something that I sort of put on a pedestal and and throw about the place and um because it is a it's just a real realization of how of how sad and lonely and awful life is when I'm in that state you know, so the fact that I'm alive is almost, for me, a signal enough that I cannot go back. And it's not saying that I never will. I don't put that sort of pressure on myself. I don't say I am never drinking again or I'm never taking drugs again. Um, I live very sort of day by day. If I can just stay sober for today, then then I've done exactly what it is that I need to do. But I know that if I ever drink again um, or if I ever take drugs again, then I know what the consequence of those actions will be. And therefore, I'm not going to take that step. I can really relate with when you said, mm -hmm. you know, if you go back to it, you could die. And it's such a powerful thing to say, but it can be so true. Mm -hmm. Look back on some of the times I had, I'm surprised I made it out of it, to be honest. And mm -hmm. it's funny because you're not the first person I've heard of that talks about, you know, you have those rules. And I think thinking back, I think I had made rules. I'd never said them or written them down, but... In the back of my mind, I had these certain rules which were kind of ridiculous. I remember one of my things was I will never drink alone. If I drink alone, it proves I have a problem. Mm. But I would happily <laughs> take cocaine alone. Yeah. It just didn't make any sense. I'm going, well, this is fine. But as soon as I drink alone, that's when I become an alcoholic. Or yeah. it, was, it was kind of crazy that my perception was just so skewed in a way. Mm. But I can I can really imagine that especially after having that break and the idea that you went back to it for one night and didn't have a hangover, I can imagine that reminds me of when I was 15 years old and I first started drinking and you think the body is in such a better place to be able to process 
every all this poison you're putting into it and get it out so it almost doesn't affect you as much but then yeah you know the one thing I always used to think and a friend of mine used this analogy that it's like a pendulum you swing yeah. into sobriety and if you swing back the other way it goes just as hard and yeah further out of sobriety it can swing further back into the darkness mm. and I really like that analogy because you know if anyone ever says to me but maybe you're maybe you've grown out of it now maybe you're fine maybe you can go back the first thing I think is well why my life is a mm. hundred times better now than it ever was why would I even risk going back to it and secondly I know it wouldn't be like that I know it mm. would just plunge into darkness and I remember because at the time I had left hospitality and I wanted to become a personal trainer. And I remember you said, let's do some training together. I was super yes. excited for it. And then one day I remember we were having a session and you just casually said, oh, I'm so hungover from last night. And it didn't click in my head for about mm -hmm. 10 minutes. I was going, oh, OK. And then as you, I think you were doing burpees or something. Like, <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you say you're hungover? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, one thing I'm always very adamant about is I never tell anyone my opinions of of them because I don't judge everyone is going through their own thing what I think is best is irrelevant all I can do through this podcast and the content I create is talk about my own experience mm. and what I've found I don't know what it's like to be someone else no one does mm. so I find it very difficult to tell someone what's best for them but I remember at the time there's always that feeling where I thought oh that's a shame I felt like the best version of Henny had come out and then just kind of slipped away briefly mm. and I remember thinking at the time not in an arrogant way but I remember thinking I think she's gonna have another realization at some point yeah and think do you know what if I ever questioned my drinking if I ever tried to get out of it there is something there and it won't go away mm. uh, for the same reason why I don't go back to it because mm. I know what will happen but now it's not it's not necessarily setting rules for myself there's just one rule don't have that first drink and for yeah. me that it makes it incredibly simple, incredibly black and white. As long as I don't have that first drink, I'm not going to go back into it. I'm not going to become that other person. Mm. So I'd, I'd love to hear about what that moment was when you had that second realization. What did it look like, or feel like, and how did you manage to get out of it? So I, um, so I, I guess July, I had started to realize that I had a problem, and it really. And it really was a problem. And it wasn't a case of going, um, this isn't good for me, I should stop. It, Which was sort of the first time. It was really like, no, no, no. This is, th there is something fundamentally wrong about this. Um, and we cannot carry on like this. Mm. Um, and I was looking at rehabs. And I then found a holiday in Canada. So basically I was like, I'm either going to go to rehab or I'm going to go to Canada um, and I'm going to go to a ranch and I horse ride and um, I'm going to go and stay with some horses. And I was looking like, at, like equine therapy and all the rest of it. And um, my problem at that point, which again was what was apparent in the first time was that I was lying about stuff. So I was lying about taking drugs for my friends um, and people who were really close to me at that time were sort of questioning it and asking about it. And I was going, no, 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 no. And actually I was all the rules had gone out the window um you know I was back sort of in that cycle again of going you know buy three bags take two 
do one, take one at home. Um, so it really was a case of going, okay, we really need to do something about this. Um, but instead of going to rehab, I ended up going to Canada. And I said to myself, well, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm with horses. You know, this is like the holiday of a lifetime for me. So I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink for the whole week which obviously didn't happen. I got to Canada. Um, I got on this ranch. It really was a holiday of a lifetime. I met some incredible people, but I was drunk. And I was drunk for pretty much, I'd say, five days out of seven. I didn't take coke, but I smoked weed. Um, Again, not something that I would have done before, but it was sort of there. And I remember thinking, gosh, like we really can't get away from this. Like you have to travel to the other side of the world to try and get away from it. And you still can't get away from it. And I came home and I came home to um, a really close friend of mine who stood up to me um, and sort of put what was happening in a very black and white way in my, in, in sort of in, put it into my world, I guess. And he really stood up to me and said, listen, you know, if you carry on like this, you're going to die alone, actually, quite frankly, um, because no one is going to want to be around you or be with you because you're pushing everyone away. You're lying. And you really need to do something about it. Um, And the thing is, is I'd already been obviously thinking about doing something about it anyway. But this really was the first time someone had sort of looked at me and gone, this isn't this isn't going well, honey. Like, this is not going pretty at all. And I had already been two days sober anyway by that point. And um, and that was it. That was the beginning of the journey. I cleaned myself up. I got back in touch with some of the friends that I had been in touch with before from sort of certain support groups. I checked back into a 12-step program. And that's where it started. And it became, and it has become, almost another level of figuring out who I am and who I really am you know you strip everything away you strip all your vices um you strip everyone away of you know things that aren't serving you anymore when you're left by yourself and you're looking in the mirror like who are you and do you even like yourself and if you don't like yourself then why is it that you don't like yourself you know and it's become a whole it's become a whole new realm that I have not visited before seen before and it's really quite terrifying but like I said you know having that sort of that realization that and again and even at that point in Canada you know it wasn't even about the drugs at all again it was just going I just want to escape I want and even I can be in the most beautiful place on the planet with horses and dogs and and nice people and good food and mountains and I still want to escape you know and that's really quite it's not sad it's it's questionable you know it's it's like another level of questionable I can't even think of a word to sort of describe it because it's yeah it's it's just a really dark dark place to be and I'm really happy that I am not there anymore and I would like to do that holiday again <laughs> I'd like to do it yeah again, but, um, it's not, it sounds incredible I think I might go check it out. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. I just wish I was sober, but never mind. Yeah. Um, well, going back to what you said about the friend telling you, you know, giving you that kind of tough love and honesty mm-hmm. is very interesting because I had a very similar experience. And especially when you hear that when you're not in your best state, whether you are still drunk or high or coming down or having those kind of 
thoughts of your own, but no one on the outside has validated them. And then someone just gives you this kind of cutting comment or statement can really, it can really cut deep and you kind of think, okay, maybe they've got a point. Mm. But like you say, with the escaping, you know, this is definitely something that it turned into for me. You know, I wanted to escape reality, but the question was, why, why did I want to escape reality? If reality was that great, I wouldn't want to escape it. Yeah. And that's something that's really helped me in the past few years is as my reality gets better and better, the less I want to escape it, the mm. less I want to numb myself out because I now accept everything about my life, you know, the good and the bad. And a friend of mine once said to me when I stopped, he said, one of the best things about stopping drinking is you get all your emotions back. Mm-hmm. But one of the worst things that happens when you stop drinking is you get all your emotions. Back. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember hearing that. Yeah. So true. I mean, I haven't really felt sadness or anger or joy or any of these things in years because I've just been numb for so long. Yeah. But I now, if I feel nerves or I feel fear, I just sit there and I embrace it and I, I ride the wave of it because it's just so exciting to feel something. Mm. And that's like, for me, one of the ways in which I can deal with all the the challenges you would look at mm. through sobriety. And, through... and mm. there was a book I read when I first stopped. I don't know if you read it, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm. And I remember in the beginning, he says he got to a point in his life where he was so depressed and he wanted to end everything. And he said, I just can't live with myself. And he had this moment where he thought, what does that mean? I can't live with myself. Who is I and who is myself? There must be two people in this equation to even say that. Yeah. And I remember kind of relating to that, thinking there's two sides of me. There's me. And then there's this will character, the guy who wants validation, wants attention, wants to escape. That is a different person. If you strip all of that away, I'm still me. Mm. I'm still here. And I remember kind of seeing it and putting a, almost personifying that side of myself, which really helped me to see that I'm not that person, that person that goes out and gets super drunk and embarrasses himself and shameful. I take responsibility for that person, but that is not me. Yeah. I am now me and I've been me for almost five years. And I always remind myself of that because I find it to be so powerful. Yeah. Um, And I think now you're coming up to six months, which is amazing. That's huge. Congratulations. That's so good. And I'd love to know what what has it been like those past six months? What is it? What's changed? What are the highlights? What are the lowlights? Um, I think I I think I agree with you about your feelings. I think um, although our, our favourite phrase, pain is just a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Personal training, five uh, AM sessions. I know. I miss those. Um, that I I feel joy, you know, um, and I I get my when I get my happiness and I feel, and I really feel joy in something, um, it's through something that, you know, is created from either me or from being around people that I choose to be around and, or doing things that I choose to do, you know, um, I guess it's this freedom, isn't it? Of suddenly going, gosh, actually there is a world out there that I can, I can be myself and, and I can enjoy it and I can be happy. Um, and um and i have days where i don't feel like that you know i have days where i feel really anxious and i feel really fearful and but i have the clarity now to be able to really be aware of it and work it out and 
and I don't like sitting with my feelings. I do not like sitting through things that hurt me or things that trigger me or, you know, I want to find a solution. I want to fix it and I want to go, okay, we feel like this, so let's go and do this and let's make it better. And actually it's not about making it better. It's about just recognizing it and going, you know, why is this coming up? And But I have the ability to be able to do that now and I didn't have that before. And even in my first time with sobriety, again, it was all, I guess it was all the feelings around trying to understand why I was the way that I was. You know, why did I fall into addiction? Um, why did I have that sort of brain capacities to need what it is that I needed? Um, and there was a lot that I found out. There was a lot that I unearthed. There was a lot that um, I went back to. Um, and I guess that time was all about that. Whereas this time was all about acceptance. You know, I, I accept that whatever happened to me happened to me growing up. I accept that the circumstances were the way they were. Um, I don't have any blame towards anyone in particular. But what's important is how we move forward from that. And I have the clarity to be able to do that now. And and um, and I and I'm free with it. You know, I do things that I enjoy. I'm in a new job that I love. Um, I'm surrounded by people who I choose to have around me, who I equally love. Um, you know, I, and and there's nothing really I can complain about. And when I do complain, because I'm not saying that I'm, you know, Gandhi and I never complain about anything, of course I do. But I have the clarity now and I have the understanding. And now for me, it's about finding that acceptance and, and really starting to enjoy me and enjoy who I am, whatever, in whatever capacity that looks like. And it's really exciting. <laughs> It's really, really exciting, and I'm so happy that you were almost five years. Hey? I mean, that's that's equally amazing, and um, and you should be really proud of yourself. You know, I'm really proud of you. Thank you so uh, much. But, yeah, I mean, what you just said is so inspiring. I think you are you are Gandhi. To be honest, it sounds <laughs> very very similar. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing to hear the transformation. I think one thing I know about you now is whether or not it's still part of your daily routine. I know that exercise is something mm. that. It's super time. important to you. And, um, you know, like we said, you know, you used to get up and and we would meet in a very, very cold London park at five in the morning in winter <laughs> to train. And I thought there was no one as kind of crazy as me that was willing to do that. But um, you, yeah, you, you were there every single time. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering, is there any, any other things that you implement into your daily routine or things that you do whenever you get to that point where you're like, right, I need to... I need to calm down that mind, that overthinking mind, or just to center myself again. Are there any other techniques that you use? Yeah, so I do the um, the halt technique is really it's quite prevalent for me. Um, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And usually nine times out of ten, it's one of the two, if not all of the two. Sorry, one of the four, if not all of the four. Um, if it's all of the four, then we're all in big trouble. Um, and um, and I then will obviously, depending on what it is, you know, I eat um, if I'm hungry, if I'm angry, I try and sort of just work out why it is I'm angry. Um, and then I pick up the phone and I call someone. Same if I'm lonely, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call someone. Um, and if I'm tired, then I slow down. It's very difficult for me to slow down, but I try and slow down. Um, so that's quite a big one for me. Um, another thing that I tend to do is as well, I mean, I'm not very good at meditating because I can't sort of sit still and um i'm i have a very overactive brain um but i 
I'm quite good at sort of separating what my gut is telling me to what my head is telling me. My head likes to tell me everything and anything and my head will take a black and white situation and make it into a, a, a you know technicolor in 0.3 seconds um and i can fight it as much as i want but ultimately in the day it's always going to sort of do what it wants to do in that sense um but my gut generally is the thing that i cling on to most and if i'm feeling really sort of fearful or anxious or i'm getting sort of stressed about something and and i guess you can feel it when you get all consumed by it right you know it starts on your toes and it, it, you literally you can feel yourself sort of heating up um it's almost just taking myself out of a situation or, or putting some sort of music into my ears or just something that removes myself from the situation that i'm in just gives me at least 30 seconds just to try and figure out what's going on and then act accordingly you know i think you, i read a really fun thing about um sort of the space in between stimuli and response right so depending on what it is or what what the stimuli might be whether it's positive or negative but the more space you give yourself between whatever action has been put in front of you the better and the more sort of um thought thoughtful and and worked out your response will be so you know if someone does something to annoy you and you snap it's because you haven't given your time you haven't given space in between to work it out you know so i'm very mindful um and especially at work because you know my job is quite high intensity and, and all the rest of it i'm dealing with a lot of people a lot of the time um i have to give myself space to think i have to and again whatever i might think might not be a hundred percent um but i tend to i will think with my gut and not with my brain my brain can lead my brain will always lead and and that's fine i'm happy for my brain to take the lead um but really it's my gut that makes the decisions and if i don't give myself space and time to actually work that out that's when i start snowballing and that's when i start finding myself in a in almost like a state of flux you know um but my first point of call is always yeah well are we feeling like this because we're hungry are we pissed off about something we do we just feel a bit lonely or are we are we tired um and then and then the other steps will follow so which sounds i guess more simple than it is but yeah i i love the idea of the stimulus response because that was one mm. thing that i figured out maybe in the first year of stopping drinking was how everything I was doing up until that point was a, an emotionally charged reaction. Mm. I wasn't aware or accepting of what was going on around me. I didn't approach it logically or calmly. It was like a knee-jerk reaction. This has annoyed you. Go and drink. This has done something. Go and do that. And it was kind of creating that space, like you say, where you can just kind of step back almost out of yourself and say, what's best for Henny right now? What's best mm. for Let's Let's do this in a, a logical way so we avoid feeling pain or we avoid upsetting someone and we avoid going deeper into a darker place mm. um but to be honest i've never heard of the halt you were using i think that's mm. interesting. i was like wow i'm going to use this although i think most times i'm just hungry i'm just <laughs> always hungry so i actually really like that because it does look at that it's the um what was it the hunger anger lonely and tired yeah which is basically the four motives for everything we do uh um, right. I guess in a negative way sometimes. Mm. So uh, yeah, I really like that. I think I'm going to start using that. You're and welcome. also you mentioned um, music because I know how important music is to you. And mm. I discovered how important it was to me. I think, you know, waking up in the morning and the difference between, let's say, grabbing your phone and scrolling aimlessly 
compared to waking up, putting some really good music on that you love, moving around a bit, getting your heart going, doing some deep breathing, the difference it makes to every single day. And everything we do ever is only what happens in one day. So the way you start it for me is just so paramount on how the rest of the day is going to pan out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think music is uh, music is such a big one. And mm. yeah, I'm going to always be checking how hungry I am. <laughs> um, but you know, it's been it's so amazing listening to you, because even as a friend of yours, I didn't know quite in depth, you know, chronologically how this all played out. I was kind of yeah. in and out of this every now and again. And, you know, sometimes I check in. It was in a similar you were in a similar position. Sometimes things yeah. would be a bit different. Um, but I, I was always very uh, glad that you reached out to me at that point yeah. because you know I've, for me to be doing you know this making a podcast making content as much as it helps people it helps me too you know I remember mm -hmm. when you reached out it helped me to feel like I was helping someone else almost like the old version of myself and that's the that's my why for doing this you know I yeah. want to try and repair damage I did to myself and I find that every single person I speak to they give me a little bit of something as well. Yeah, for um, sure. I feel like you've definitely given me that today, so thank you. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you again for coming on. It's been amazing. I know so many people listening to this are going to relate to so much of what you're saying. It's something I find so often is someone will reach out to me and feel completely isolated, but the thing that they're going through, I may have heard already 10 times that morning, and I find it so crazy how we can feel isolated when so many people are doing the same thing and that was one of the reasons why i made the community i did so people can come together and realize that it's not this big thing we should be super shameful of it's a really positive change and everyone around is so inspiring and positive who have done it themselves yeah and you are definitely one of those people oh you're so lovely you're so lovely and i think that's you know one of the big things for me is going you know people are not uh, they're not on their own you know i i felt like i was on my own but i'm not on my own um and um i think when you feel and when you're in it you know and you're in this sort of vortex of going i don't know how i'm going to get out of this there is always a way out of it always always and it's not through further destruction it's not through suicide it's not ending it all there is always a way out um and there is so much power in picking up the phone in talking to people um in getting help there is no there's there's no judgment no one is judging you apart from yourself you know and i think that's the biggest obstacle is to go actually um you know we get out of this by putting our hands up and going we need help and you know that's what i did with you and and that's what you did when you started and and look where we are now you know so if i can encourage anyone and everyone who was going through the similar sort of thing, um, you know, you're not on your own, ever. So. Thank you for listening. If you or someone else you know struggles with alcohol, cocaine or any other drug, then please reach out for help. You can find the link to my online course, the online community and all the coaching programs, both on this podcast description or by clicking the link on my social media profile. Trust me, you are not alone, and there is a way out. All you need to do is make that first step. I hope you enjoyed this, but even more so, I really hope it helps. Mm -hmm.